Last week, in continuing our study through Colossians 3, we looked at what we must put on in living a Christ-like lifestyle in part one of this episode. This week, we examine the second part, looking at what must rule our hearts and dwell in our lives so that we can say and do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. I'm Noah Hooper, and this is the Taught by Grace podcast. Welcome to another edition of the Taught by Grace podcast. Thank you so much for listening. There is much to unpack in the three verses we are going to dive into today, so let's go ahead and read Colossians 3, verses 15 through 17. The Bible says, And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another, in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. This week we're going to look at part two of a Christ-like lifestyle, looking at Colossians 3 verses 15 through 17. And as I mentioned a moment ago, there is much to dive into, so let's just go ahead and dive into verse 15. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Peace is seemingly missing in our hearts in the day and hour in which we live. We are often restless and fearful instead of being ruled by the peace of God. The peace of God is to be the governing officer in our hearts. In this verse, we are commanded to let the peace of God rule in our hearts. The word rule means to govern or to arbitrate. In other words, God is calling us to let peace have the authority in our hearts. The peace of God can be the ruling voice in your heart amid a world that has gone crazy. We are to let his peace govern our hearts. It must preside in and rule over our hearts. How then do we let God's peace do this? Consider one of the most important passages on peace in the Bible. That is Philippians 4, verses 6 through 7, wherein the Bible says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. That phrase, be careful for nothing, the word to be careful, it literally means to not be full of care. Or in our day and hours, we would say, it, don't worry about anything. That is the command in that verse. Don't worry about anything, not one thing. How then do we not worry about anything? The key to finding peace is by giving literally everything to God. No matter how small or great the trouble might be, God invites us in that verse to bring all of it to him. We don't have to have troubled hearts in this troubling world, but he invites us to give everything to him and when we do he promises to give us his peace he doesn't promise to solve the problem in the way that we may think it should be solved but he does promise to give us his peace oh and his peace is sufficient for your troubled heart and i want to remind you that the greatest antidote to the disease of our troubled hearts is a prescription for the peace of god this peace goes beyond all of our understanding or comprehension, and it will keep your heart and mind through Christ. 
The situation may be difficult, the time may be perilous, and the trouble may be great. But by casting all of our cares upon him, God promises to give us his peace. And this is the kind of peace that should govern or rule our hearts. We should not be ruled by trouble or anxiety, but God promises to give us his peace. And we can let his peace rule in our hearts by simply giving everything to him. I'm going to say again, the greatest antidote to the disease of troubled hearts is a prescription for the peace of God. And the resulting effect of peace ruling our individual hearts is that peace will rule the church you and I attend corporately. It is unifying, to the which we are also called in one body. We are called to let peace not just rule our individual hearts, but rule the body of Christ as well. When peace is not ruling in your heart, there will inevitably be discord among the church that you attend. Therefore, we are exhorted to let peace rule in our hearts because we are beckoned to be one in peace as the body of Christ. It is unifying and it is thankful. I love the way this is written. He says, and be ye thankful. It's almost in passing, isn't it? But it is an evidence mark of the person who is letting peace rule in his or her heart. Thankfulness, it will protrude from the Christian who is ruled by peace. The word peace speaks of joining or uniting your heart. In other words, God's peace brings our heart away from all of the trouble, from all of the anxiety, and brings it back to him. I'm reminded of what the psalmist said when he said, unite my heart to fear thy name. He's saying, God, bring my heart from all of the distractions and united and bring it together that I might be wholeheartedly given to you. And when God's peace comes and our heart is united, thankfulness comes. We'll see thankfulness mentioned again in verse 17, but the seemingly passing remark made in this verse reveals that thankfulness, that the command to be thankful, it doesn't really require a great explanation, but that it should just be coming out of our lives. Thankfulness should be a defining trait of your life and mine, for God has been good to us. This is the peace of God ruling in our hearts, but we are also commanded to let God's word dwell in our hearts. Verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. In this verse, we are commanded to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. The word of Christ, it is the entirety of God's word. It is the whole of scripture. And we are commanded to let his word dwell in us. This word dwell speaks of inhabiting. He is saying, let God's word take up residence in your life. This is a truth we see all throughout scripture. Those who glorify God are those who abide in the word of God. Joshua 1.8. God commanded Joshua as he is about to lead the nation of Israel. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. We see this principle in Psalm 1, verses 1 and 2. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. You see, friend, these are just a couple of the countless verses to represent the importance of God's word dwelling in us. 
We shouldn't just read the Bible, but we should live in the Bible. It should take up residence in our hearts, minds, and lives. It should consume our minds. May we fill our minds with the truth of God's word and say as the psalmist did, Oh, how love I thy law. It is my meditation all the day long. We must live out his word and love his word. It should dwell in our hearts. This is the command given in verse 16. It should dwell in us richly in all wisdom. The word of Christ should permeate the whole of our mind. It should emanate from our lives. We are to dwell in God's word by letting God's word dwell in us. There are a couple of results that come into the church because of God's word dwelling in our hearts. There is corporate edification through music, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. When God's word dwells in his people, both individually and corporately as a whole in the church you and I attend, one result is a church that teaches and admonishes each other through biblical music. Teaching is to reveal and explain truth and admonishing speaks of correcting someone in love. This is done by preaching and teaching of God's word, of course. But it is also evidenced in music when God's word dwells in the church as a whole. Wearsby explained psalms as songs taken directly from the Old Testament, hymns as songs written by believers and not taken from the psalms, and spiritual songs as biblical truth expressed in song other than the psalms and hymns. And by the way, I've got to say that I cannot speak for you, but I love corporately worshiping God with my church through singing. And we need that in our lives. When God's word dwells in us, it will come out through the singing in our church, but not just corporately, but individually through internal worship, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. A direct result of God's word dwelling in an individual's heart is worship. The word of God leads to worship. This isn't specifically about outward worship, but it is about the song that may dwell in your heart. When our minds are fixed on his word and peace rules in our hearts, it is true that we will have a song in our hearts that will be permeated with the grace of God. How great it is to dwell in this place where our hearts are not full of this world and our hearts are not distracted by this world. But there is a song in our heart. There is a worshipful attitude in our heart where we are singing with grace in our hearts to the Lord. This is what happens when God's word dwells in us. It results in corporate worship and internal adoration. We must let God's peace rule in our hearts and his word dwell in our hearts. Lastly, we are exhorted to say and do all things in the name of the Lord Jesus. In verse 17, and whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Verse 17, it is the capstone of this section on a Christ-like lifestyle. It is of great importance for us to recognize that this verse on an outward display comes after the verses prior exhorting us to put on and let in speaking of it in our internal life before God. It is only after we have put on love, let peace govern our hearts, and God's word dwell in us that we can do all things in the name of the Lord Jesus. This is the goal. This is the purpose of our lives. It is to do 
everything in his name. However, it is only after we have done those things first, we can do this thing. Essentially, what I'm saying is that you have to be governed by the right things before you can do the right things. Remember the back end of the first four verses? Set your affection on things above. That is the starting line of living a life that glorifies God. We must have first set our heart on him. We must have first set our affection, our mind, our thoughts on him and turned our mind and heart upward before we can live right outwardly. We do this by putting on love, letting peace rule and God's word dwell in us to the end that we might be able to do everything in his name. This is another reminder that God always works from the inside out. He always begins in our hearts before he displays it in our lives. We must have put on those things so that we can do this thing. This is why we do those things. It is so that we can live out this, that is by doing all things in the name of the Lord Jesus. We're going to see the importance of doing all in his name, but let's first examine this phrase in verse 17. And whatsoever you do in word or deed. In this phrase, Paul offers a guiding principle. He does not explicitly state what you are to do, but he is declaring the motivation that we should have in our lives behind everything we say or do. He has moved from the inward life and now to the outward life. This is the fruit of an inward life that is surrendered to the Lord, a life that seeks to say and do everything by his name in word. This is another call to let our speech glorify God. This was addressed negatively in the earlier part of the chapter, speaking of what our speech shouldn't be. It shouldn't be blasphemous, filthy, or untruthful. There ought to be a distinct difference between our speech and the world's language. Reminder of Ephesians 4 when the Bible says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. However, here it is spoken of in a positive aspect. Instead of saying, here's what your speech shouldn't be, he's saying, here is what your speech should be. It is easy to become careless when it comes to our words. Instead of carefully considering the weight of our words and the weight that it carries when we speak and the impact that it has on the lives of others and the glory of God, we foolishly spout off the first thing that comes into our heads. And I cannot speak for you, but I know that I, for one, am guilty of this. And in this verse, God is calling us to say everything in his name. In other words, the guiding principle of the words that we say should be his glory. You know, if we carefully consider the glory of God and the words we say and strove to let our speech be seasoned with grace and let no filthy communication proceed out of our mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, there would be a great difference in the way that we talk. Gossip, slander, cursing, and anything else that is associated with foul speech would be gone. Furthermore, the positive result of our speech would be tremendous. We would be more encouraging to our church and glorifying to our God. Our speech would be a triumphant echo of the glory of God. This is the call in this verse. It is to let everything you say be done in the name of the Lord Jesus. Not only should everything we in word and everything we say be done in the name of the Lord Jesus, but also indeed. This phrase indeed is speaking simply in reference to everything you do. 
In everything we do, it should be an act to glorify God. This is far more than just church house Christianity of just doing right when you're at church on Sunday or Wednesday. But this is being a Christian in everything you do, whether it is at school, church, work, or play, whether it is around family, friends, acquaintances, or even enemies, whether it is by yourself or among the multitude, whether you are around people who walk with God or people that are ignorant of God, no matter the situation or state you are in, we are called to do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. This is another verse which reminds us of the supreme purpose of our life that is to glorify God. I'll remind you again, and I'm sure we'll see it again next week when we look at the last part of this section, 1 Corinthians 10.31. Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Like with our speech, this reveals what we are not to do. When it comes to what you do, consider this question. Can I do this in the name of the Lord Jesus? This question would answer most any question we would have about doing something that is not easiest to understand whether or not we should. Can you do it in his name? Meaning what you are doing should be done with an awareness of seeking to glorify him. But this isn't just recognized in a negative sense. Oh, but there is a great challenge in this to do every little thing in his name. That means when you are working, do it in his name. When you are serving, do it in his name. In whatever thing you might be doing, do it in his name and for his glory. I was reminded of the book titled The Practice of the Presence of God. Where in this, the writer records conversations he had with and letters he received from a man by the name of Brother Lawrence. In one of these conversations, it was said of Lawrence that he focused on doing the little things for the love of God. No matter what he did, he sought to do it from a heart of love for God and in the name of the Lord Jesus. This is how we should live our lives, seeking to do, no matter how great, no matter how small, everything that we do for the love of God and the glory of God. In everything we say and in everything we do, we must strive to do everything in his name. And notice the last part of the verse, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. When we strive to say and do everything in his name, there is a resulting attitude of thankfulness. As I mentioned earlier, thankfulness should be a defining trait in our lives. In this verse, it is mentioned to say that as we say and do in Christ's name, we should be thanking God during it. In other words, we should do everything with an attitude of thankfulness. While you're on the job, while you're serving, while you're working, do it with an attitude of thankfulness. This is the challenge of verses 15 through 17, to let God's peace rule in your hearts, to let God's word inhabit your lives, to strive to say and do everything in his name. There's so much challenging truth in this passage, and I wish I could spend more time doing this, but I believe this is the best way to go into this. And I believe there are there's so much truth given in this text, and I believe it could be applied in multiple ways. There are a couple of questions we must ask. Is our hearts being ruled by peace or by trouble? Is our minds being inhabited by God's truth or the things of this life? Are we striving to say and do everything in the name of Christ? This is a Christ-like lifestyle. 
It is an inward life that is wholly consecrated to God by putting on love, letting peace rule in God's word dwell, which leads to a life that seeks to say and do everything in his glorious name. Now I know that we will struggle, but I'm thankful that while we serve, while we seek to follow this lifestyle, God gives us his grace so that we can live this way for his glory. So let us consecrate our hearts and yield our lives to him so that we can strive to do everything in his name and for his glory. Thank you for listening to this week's edition of the Taught by Grace podcast. If you're not already subscribed, I hope you will consider subscribing and joining me next week as we conclude our study in Colossians chapter 3. Thank you.